Hello and welcome to Living Being. I'm Chris Park. I'm Verity Sharp. I'm Patrick Randall. And this is the podcast where we're going to celebrate everything that's wondrous about bees. Hey folks, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm well, yeah. I mean, mustn't grumble, hey? You know, that, that pro- proper British saying. Look at, the, I mean, <laughs> just the, looking out the window, at the at the greening of the land and the burgeoning of the sun and, you know, the, you know, it's a, a nice cool north wind keeping the rain off. What a <laughs> what a yeah. what a great time to be alive. In, in been a, an amazing yeah. April. Yeah, has been absolutely, amazing. Absolutely. Amazing. Really good. How are, the, how are your bees? Yeah, they're great. They're enjoying, enjoying. They've gone through the willow pollen. The, the blackthorn is just coming to an end and the, the hawthorn is coming out now. And, and yeah, they're having a good time. Apple blossom is just opening and cherry blossom. It's a great time. It's a great time. You know, you, I don't really have favourites, but if I was pushed, you know, at gunpoint, I might say April might be my favourite month. Definitely. Yeah. But I think we're, what, two weeks maybe behind you because out here on the West Coast of Wales, uh, so some of the blackthorn's still coming and the hawthorn is only just starting to leaf. Uh-huh. So, yeah, mm. it's late. I mean, we're, we're a lot later here. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've had some willow. Uh, right. Do you think, do you, I might have asked you this before, do you think willow, is this willow give nectar or is it just pollen? Oh, that's a really good question. I'd have to look in a book to answer that. <laughs> but, uh, but my, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Because uh, uh, loads been... of pollen, loads and loads and loads of pollen, doesn't it? I'm not sure about yeah, that. Yeah, our bees have been our bees have been busy on the on the blackthorn and and the willow. I think they're bringing in a lot of pollen. But there's a lot of bees, you know, out there uh, coming in and out of the hive. And I'm thinking, well, they're bringing nectar in. From somewhere, yeah, Ho- uh, horses and we- the courses, and how are your gorses? And and are they? And, <laughs> and are they? They're obviously still going, aren't they? No, no, well, that's not. Yeah, well, where we are, no, some of it just very sort of sparsely, but where we are, it's kind of does this. It just dies. It's very, very gone to twigs. But then, if you go down to the coast into a, a kind of um, secluded valley, uh, it's blossoming extraordinarily so yeah, that's a fascinating yeah. plant i really want to get my head around that but what we have got is tons of dandelions which i know uh, are good for bees and i walk around and i can't ever see one bee on them <laughs> do they do that in secret <laughs> they do early morning <laughs> yeah is it who knows you know I mean, maybe it's just not hot enough maybe it's just not warm yeah. enough I've, I've seen you know i've not seen a honeybee on a dandelion this, yet this year but you know, on really hot days, they're just—it's a carpet of bees. And I've seen some tiny little bees inside of dandelions this year. Uh, yes, I have. Yeah. And so, isn't St George's Day a traditional time for picking dandelions for making into like dandelion wine, dan- mm. dandelion methylene and things? So today we're talking to Marku Pohonen. Uh, and I think you know him, do you, Chris? You've, you've met, your paths have crossed many a time. That's right. Marku is a regular at the National Honey Show when it happens. And he's, he's from Finland and he's a, he's a really good bloke. And he's uh, used to work in a zoo with bears. And he's uh, now a full-time beekeeper. 
And, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like he's an ambassador for Finnish. You know, don't meet many Finnish beekeepers, but, like, you know, you go to the National Honey Show and you do meet, like, a, oh, there's someone from Iran or, or someone from, from uh, I don't know, the Bahamas. And then there's Marku, who's from Finland. It's like, it attracts these kind of international characters. Yeah, I love, I, love talk, I love talking to people. Actually, I really love talking to people from different countries uh, because it reveals the subtleties in in how they do things you know, related to beekeeping. But then also it opens up to talking about their flora and fauna and stuff. And it's just it's just amazing, you know, because we just assume we live, you know, we, we, we have our heads down living in one place, don't we? And we, we, we don't ever think about the challenges there are for people in other parts of the world and the differences that there are. For yeah, them. there's a sort of camaraderie of beekeepers across the planet. It's great, isn't it? Mm. OK, should we call him? Yes. Hello, Marku. Hi, Marku. Yeah, now we are recording, yes. So where in the world are you, Marku? Uh, I'm near Helsinki. I'm uh, next to the airport of Helsinki, Vantaa. In Finland, of course. In Finland, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and is there a zoo nearby the airport? Uh, the zoo is in Helsinki. It's about uh, 28 kilometers from here. 28 kilometers. But yeah. as I mentioned, I stopped uh, working in the zoo last year, so yeah. I'm, I'm, now I'm just a beekeeper. So you're ah. an urban beekeeper, right? Also an urban beekeeper, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. And But sometimes... You get to go feral to wild islands and places like that, don't you? Is that right? You still do that? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I have a sort of a... There's about 10 islands and I breed black bee in there. Yeah. Queens. So in, in summer times, I take uh, bees over there and when the new queens uh, hatch, then I'll uh, put them in a small boxes and I'll take them to the islands where they... Uh, made with the drones. Okay, so you have you have stock there of the what you call the black bee, or sometimes known as bee, or is that Apis mellifera mellifera? Some people call it AMM. Is that the same thing? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yes, yeah. Fascinating. Can Can I just ask you, Marku, just before we get too technical, how did you actually get into bees in the first place? Oh uh, well, uh, I used to work in. Uh, uh, um, you know, agriculture and gardening uh, school. And there was a, a place where they have uh, small animals. And the lady who worked there got a, a paper that there's a beekeeping course in Helsinki. So because it's only it was only two kilometers from my place. So he, she asked that, can I can I go in the beekeeping course and tell tell later about that one to the other other people but i like it so much because in that time uh, well bees are a little bit dangerous so i sort of want to uh l- um, know how the how to work them and so how long ago was that oh sorry 35 years ago okay and they had you hooked well yes sort of but there are so many animals animals in the world I'm hooked. I used to practice in London Zoo and also in Bristol Zoo in the in the vertebral house. So 
there are so many animals in the world that you can find all the time something new, interesting. But it's very much that kind of idea of preservation, is it? And keeping species going, that's at the heart of it for you. Well, that's, yeah, that's the main, main thing also, that, uh, that uh, to uh, protect those uh, subspecies that are endangered. Oh, and you have a great love of not just animals, but the plant kingdom and myceliums as well. I, whenever I, whenever I meet, you, meet you, Marco, you always hand me a, a kind of small plastic bag of mushrooms that you foraged from, from, from somewhere in Finland. Delicious. <laughs> well, that, that's that, that's the problem because w- when I was a small kid, I uh, my parents put me in the my grandparents' uh, farm in the middle of the Finland uh, when I have a summer holidays. And in the August, I have to pluck uh, mushrooms with my uh, uh, grandparents and my uh, other friends and have to work with them because they sell it. In that time, they were time was a little bit different. So we uh, berries and mushrooms and stuff like that. But that's why I do that still. But it is very it's very difficult, isn't it, to kind of uh, look at things in isolation. Any anyway, I mean, obviously with bees, you've got to be looking at plants around you and have an understanding of all that as well, haven't you, to actually make it all work well, together? Well, in Finland, we have sort of a quite easy way because our summer is quite short compared to England. So we have uh, about uh, two to three months when the, all the plants are flowering. So it's a little bit easier that way. In July, we get uh, the honey, honey flow, if you say that. So how does that actually compare? Because that's really interesting, because we've recently moved uh, over to Wales, where we're realizing that our summer's going to be much shorter, well, not much, but significantly shorter than what we're used to as well. So. From a bee's point of view, do they just have to work harder on the flowers that they have or do they learn to modify the size of colonies and their, their behaviours accordingly? How does, how does that well, actually work? Well, they sort of uh, get too used to uh, for the climates and stuff like that because when it's cold, they can't go outside. They, so they work inside and when 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 it comes sunshine, then they go out and collect so much nectar that they could and then they produce it for honey and stuff like that. So they, if it's raining very much, they have to be inside and when it's getting sunshine, then they go out and collect so much honey that they, or nectar that they can. And the cold weather, Marku, the cold, the cold is a challenge, is it, for the bees? Well, actually, it's not. The cold is not the uh, challenge. I don't know. Uh, in the Soviet Union, they make a test uh, for the... Apis mellifella mellifella. They put them in the freezer minus uh, uh, 20, and they uh, just give uh, sugar over there. So they were the bees were there in the dark and just eating sugar. The uh, bees survived uh, 18 months in that freezer. They couldn't get out, and then they of course died because this was sort of research. Oh my goodness, it's amazing. So so cold isn't cold isn't the problem. It's just the length of the the length of the winter that's yeah uh, that that's the issue is it yeah and of of course if if it's freezing and uh, uh, freezing and a lot of wind the wind makes it hard, harder if the weather is good the bees can be inside um, snow and they survive in there but now the w- weather is getting uh, more and more complicated so we don't have so much snow and the bees are outside and birds come to block the 
that uh, bees and knocked knocked the bee bee house and so bees come outside and they they, they catch the bees so there are different animals uh, that makes a little bit problem. Yeah, like we, we, you know, we have wasps that predate our colonies and maybe Asian hornets soon. But you have bears, don't you? Bears in in the woodlands and the forests. <laughs> they, they, yeah, I mean, how how, yes. how is that? What's that like? I mean, do you ever have to run for your life or? Uh... Uh, well, well, we don't have bears so near near the city. Of course, I yeah. used to work with bears in the uh, zoo about 15 years, so I'm yeah. sort of used to bears. But of course. four or five years ago, uh, one bear took uh, two beehives from my one place. So that was quite interesting when I went to, because I was called that there, there has been bears. So I went yeah. to there and in that time, it was quite exciting that where the hell is the bear? <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, a little bit worrying, yeah. But but in Finland we have uh, over two thousand bears, and um, some of the bear bears makes a problem because we lost about one to two hundred hives every year. Of course, the government will get money, will give us money for that one. But of course, it's so nice if you work with the bees and then you lost them. So that's why the bears are not so so good for the beekeepers' point of view. Yeah. And how do you how do beekeepers generally protect hives from bears? I mean, in America, I've seen seen apiaries surrounded by electric fences and, and, and elaborate traps and things like that. And is that something that happens in Finland, or do you just think, oh well? Yeah, well, electric fence is the first first thing you put because uh-huh. that's uh, the government gives you the material, so that's okay. so, sort of an uh, easy way. But uh, in the first time, you don't know if the bears come, but then you have to put the fence. Electric fence over over there there. Yeah, and do they work? I mean, does that the bear just get a sting? Sort of. Oh, well, the, the, pa- well, the, 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 the pain outweighs the gain, sort of thing. Or yeah, it makes you a little bit. You have to uh, change the batteries, or uh, if the sun sun gives you electricity, but then the plants grow, and you have to take the plants away. That yeah, the electricity mm-hmm. goes around, and the bears will the bears will. Uh, don't like the uh, electricity, they, so they don't, don't go in there. So that's uh, sort of quite, but it makes a little bit uh, extra work. So that's a problem also. Yeah. So how, how many hives are you managing then, Marky? Uh, have you got some, you know, where you are and then you've got out apiaries? Well, uh, I have a colleague now. We have a, uh, almost 200 hives now. So that's a bit of a full-time job, is it? Uh, well... That's uh, that's uh, the decision that I make because uh, Chris know this one, but Norman Carrick was uh, three years ago in in Finland uh, in Black Bee conference, and he w- I took him from the airport to the place and we talked a lot, and then he s- decided that uh, he's interesting to do different things, the things he liked, and that gave me good idea that uh, I've been working so much with different animals, but. Bees are the main interesting, and now I have this to protect the black bees. So my decision was also that uh, uh, do what you like and try to make a living of it. Of yeah, it. So that's a great philosophy, isn't it? And, and ha- yeah, yeah, yeah. And how's it going with the with the black bees? Uh, uh, um... well, well, it's getting better. Of course, I've yeah. been only one now one year. I couldn't be so uh, prepared last year, but now I'm quite good prepared. And I have two places where I can produce those uh, black bee queens. And I have a 
some uh, some calls to uh, ask about the black bees also uh, from Germany. So, so can I just what a black bee? How does that differ from a from a honeybee that we might have in our hive? Well, we have in Finland. Uh, sorry, in Europe, we have about uh, ten different subspecies of uh, Abis mellifera. So the uh, Abis mellifera, mellifera is the northern one because it's uh, somehow it uh, wants to come in the north where it's not so good. But we have like in different places: Macedonia, Italian, and. In Turkey, there's uh, four different subspecies, and so there are different subspecies in in the in the Europe. And, and that's because they're evolving to to cope with different environmental challenges in those different yeah, parts. Yeah, of... that's that's the main main thing that they are sort of used to work in those uh, special uh, climate. Like like in Sicilia, there was a dif- uh, in Sicilia the island in Italia. There's a uh, one subspecies so is sort of isolated in Sicilia, but of course now there are different um, bees from uh, Italian prod over there, but they are protecting also the Sicilian bee. So we should say that people have been moving bees around, haven't they? That's 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 created uh, a sort of mongrelization, if that's a word, uh, of bees around Europe. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The problem with the bees is not the bees or the climate; it's the beekeeper because we want to produce uh, bees that make much more honey or, or which are good to pollinate or stuff like that so we mix them uh, so much and of course that makes uh, the genes mix but uh, also those special bees that you should protect just in case that something happened so that's uh, the pre-protection has become only last five, ten years, that people are understanding that you have to protect those subspecies that's, which are local. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah so it can... was after, after the world wars, wasn't it, that, that uh, in the Isle of Wight disease and, and, and other factors involved that bees started being shipped around Europe quite a lot. And I think so very basically, in, in, I mean, in England, you see sort of a, you know, different coloured bees and very basically the kind of, the kind of yellow and black be brown ones I kind of have more of that kind of Italian strain which is meant to be sort of more productive or bee breeders brought in those that strain of bee to uh to, to thinking of they get more honey and, and 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 bigger colonies and bees are generally darker uh from sort of dark brown to black we don't have that kind of yellow and black stripey sort of thing going on <laughs> uh not that bees do that anyway they, i mean wasps have but bees don't really do that really. but you know but, it's like, but essentially you know that, that that's more have will have more genes from the native european bee the sort of the the, the dark bee the black bee mm-hmm. the apis mellifera mellifera but uh to, to really know you have to get into you know like wing morphology and microscopy and all sorts of nerdy mm. behavior to actually ascertain <laughs> ascertain to, which you probably do don't you marco that's true in england they uh, bring a lot of uh, queens and also nukes and like in finland also we uh, there comes from south uh, europe about 5 to 6000 queens every spring and they bring a lot of new genes over here and those genes are not so used to work so 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 north so that's why we probably lost so much uh, sometimes in um, 
uh, bees in uh, winter mortality. Yeah, but say say on an, on an island like the islands that you're doing the breeding on, surely there must be a a kind of a fine line between limiting a gene pool too much uh, if you're just trying to breed one one sort of bee and 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 but some you know other genes coming it, uh, must be a good thing or what, what what how do you what do you think about that? Well, the islands makes you sort of control the genes lots, much more better yeah. and. Uh, because we have this black bee association, so last summer we bring some uh, black queens from Sweden. They yeah. have been working with black bees over 30 years, so they Amazing. have a lot of experience and we uh, work together with them. So we can bring some new uh, gene pool from there and that's sort of helping. And Can you just explain, Marku, why, you know, just for people who are not familiar with bee breeding or queen bee breeding, why you would do it on an island? And why, and also why you would do it at all? I mean, did you get into breeding because you wanted to uh, get that purity of of strand in the bee? Is that right? Well, that's the main reason that uh, you have to sort of uh, have an island where you can have a pure black bees. That's sort of a, a easier way. You can also inseminate bees. I don't know if you had heard, but. Uh, uh, it's also possible to inseminate uh, queens with uh, drone sperm, but uh, that's also a little bit difficult. Well, not so difficult, but uh, you have to sort of learning that one also. Yeah, and so on an island, you're you're essentially assuring that uh, the gene the gene pool is under control, and that includes mainly because of the drones, isn't it? it it's including it, it. It ensures that you have drones that you are are under your control yeah that that's the main reason because the one one queen mates with uh, 10 to 15 drones and that's the main thing that uh, the drones are what are mixing the genes quite easy but that's the main reason that in the island you can sort of uh, take control of that one and my uh, my island is about 45 minutes from with ferry so it's quite uh, far from the mainland. So that's sort of making yeah, that's a long making way, it make, making it safe. Yeah, and and the temperament of the dark bees. I mean, historically, you hear and just um, colloquially, you're sort of a, uh, from various beekeepers and books that are written. I I hear and read conflicting tales and stories. Some say that the the old dark bee were much nicer to work with and less aggressive. You know. And and but um but I've also heard from word of mouth that oh no I've you know I've had some really bad colonies and I, but I guess like people you know some people are kind of like but so how how what's your experience of the temperament and the difference in temperament between between the, the dark bees that you're you're preserving and other bees? When the temperate with pure black bees is they are very kind. It's mm -hmm. easy to handle, but if you mix them with a different uh, uh, species, then they are getting more ag aggressive. Right. But right. but also but also you can use uh, like if you have Italian bee and you use black drones over over those one, so you sort of mix them. So both uh, both good genes comes in the first generation, and they collect very good, very very much honey. But the second generation with this mix, that's making make it's not so easy. They are more more sort of a, could be aggressive, but of course it depends also with the beekeeper. Yeah, and, and the situation, and yeah. 
it must be incre- must be incredibly hard to 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 know what you're looking for, know what you're trying to choose and select for uh, when you're breeding. Because uh, another thing we haven't mentioned is disease, isn't it? Uh, bees suffer from disease. Whether you're looking for disease resistance within the bees or yeah, uh, yeah, the diseases are, are a little bit problem because you have to try to have a good hygiene with the, uh, with the bees. But uh, with the, uh, to make it pure, we have a, a wing wing analyzing, and also we, nowadays you can make a DNA test. Also, amazing. Of course, the DNA is quite expensive. It's about fifty euros. Per, per queen, but wing analyzing is quite easy. I have the program, and I, I took uh, thirty bees, take uh, kill them, and then took a wing from those one, and I can sort of uh, thirty wings. I can sort of uh, know how pure my queens are. So, so how long have you been doing the breeding side of it, Marco? And have you kept records? You know, can you monitor how effective your work um, is and, and how it's growing? Well, I, I've been only four years because we have a man called Aimo Nurminen. He's been, he did it over t- 20 years, but he had an excellent accident a couple of years ago and died. So he just learned me a little bit and now, now I'm just uh, uh, continuing his works. And what's your, what's your ultimate goal? Is to, is, would it be to, to uh, produce colonies for sale or produce queens for sale to people that are interested in in the the old apis mellifera mellifera or, or is there is there like a an ultimate dream that you have in this work well mainly to have about 200 hives which are sort of pure so i have a good uh, chain pool in those one of course i sell uh, queens to people we have now we have only 30, 35 members in our association, but the interesting is growing all the time. And in Sweden, Sweden they have uh, over 600 black bee, bee, beekeepers now. So people are more interesting, of course, about bees and bumblebees and stuff like that. So that's sort of a good, good thing. But uh, there are different subspecies. And of course, everybody don't like black bees. And what, what's the forage like in Finland? Particularly when it relates to city beekeeping, actually, Marku, because, you know, what, what are they foraging on around the city? Well, in, when in, in the city, there's a, lo- a lot of different things. Uh, 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 li- uh, what's the... Well, linden is the tree which gives uh, in the city quite good honey, and it's very, very good. But uh, uh, raspberry is the main, main thing in Finland, it's uh, uh-huh. it's growing everywhere, and you can get it can uh, bloom about four weeks, and you can get honey over there. And then this uh, this um, can't remember the name in English, but it's the wee that uh, are in a uh, open area, which is sort of a perp, not purple, willow herb, a little bit Ro- purple, rosebay willow uh, herb, or, or bramble maybe. It's sort of weed. I can't remember. Fireweed or rosebay would I have? No. Why weed? That could be that one. Yeah. So yeah. so so is it, what's the honey like? Well, mainly the honey are quite sweet in Finland, but uh, also I work together with uh, uh, Buk, Bukfa, um, sorry, 
buckwheat uh, uh, farmers and I can get a lot of buckwheat honey which is very strong and that sort of uh, you give a local honey which is sweet and then you get, uh, give buckwheat honey which are sort of different sizes so people are amazed how different the honey can be and also linden yeah. honey is very very different and people can taste it quite easily. I'm not aware we have buckwheat as a crop in the UK or certainly not in you know southern England and parts that I know is that just suited to Finland? Uh, well, it's mainly from Himalayan in Asia, and it's uh, very much growing in Eastern countries and Eastern Europe and Russia and stuff like that. But nowadays, it's also coming also in Finland. Because temperatures are rising? Well, I don't know uh, in Finland because we have a very uh, big, uh, so, sorry, long days in summertime. So the sweets are quite different compared to the others. So maybe that's one of the reasons that uh, they are tasting a little bit different compared to Europe. Oh, and I, I can't not mention or not ask you about the, the epic poem, the part of Finnish folklore and culture and, uh, and creation myth, actually, from Finland that is so much about honey and bees, isn't it? The, the Kalevala, is that how you pronounce it in, in Finland? Yes, that's the Kalevala, yes, yes. That's quite interesting because I was in the National Honey Show and I bought the folklore of uh, honeybees and honey yeah. in London. And then I noticed that also in Kalevala there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, lot of things about bees. It was Ava Crane's uh, book. Oh, yes, yeah, no, yeah. So, so, I mean, is that something, I guess, every Finnish person might learn about that at school? And it, and, and it there's, and there's such a, within that creation myth, there's like bees bringing, these kind of mystical bees bringing honey from, from the other world, aren't they? And, and bestowing it, upon, you know, these, this great blessing upon the world. And, and, uh, and it feels like uh, it's a great, uh, I don't know, taproot of, of Finnish identity and, and poetry and culture. Well, that's a little bit problem because mainly pe uh, people in Finland remember about the people in the Kalevala. Yeah. But uh, we have a we have a record that uh, first bees came in uh, 1780 in Finland. Yeah. Which was pr uh, came that from Estonia and Sweden. Yeah. But uh, but Kalevala is a little bit early and still there are uh, things about bees. And I was uh, I, I've been organizing bee trips in Estonia and we were uh, near Russian border and our guide uh, my friend Valdo was telling about stories from different places and yeah. near uh, Tarto uh, there was uh, in the time of uh, Ivan the Great Tsar from uh, Russia right. he started he started war against uh, Danish people in 1570 okay and one of the reasons was that they, the Swedes and the locals haven't, haven't paid honey, honey taxes. Ah. So that's, that's why we also try to uh, get the DNA test that we can sort yeah. of uh, 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 find out if Estonia and in Finland, even in 15th and 16th century, there, there could be bees because this was only, only wild, wild forest and not yeah. so much people. Mm -hmm. So do you think maybe the... There was a time in, in history when beekeeping was, uh, I mean, people couldn't do it or 
Well, it was, uh, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That, 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 that historically, bees have come to Finland in quite recent history, but the folklore has a much older, older kind of route. And so, yeah, maybe, so perhaps, perhaps beekeeping was died out or bees... I don't know. What do you think happened? <laughs> well, well, they 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 can be uh, wild in the forest because course, yeah. people yeah. people didn't have knowledge because in uh, old time it was the monastery and the uh, uh, right, breeze right. that uh, that can uh, handle bees because a lot yeah. of common common people they didn't know mm-hmm. nothing mm-hmm. about the bees. Yeah. Also, in 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 the Kalevala, there's there's a there's like a bear cult, isn't it? Like like. Like the worship of bears, and there's that, just that brilliant. I mean, you see it in in lots of you know, even modern children's literature, like Winnie the Pooh. But there's just there's that lovely relationship, or, or kind of or kind of uh, dynamic, um, I don't know, uh, yeah, relationship between bees and bears that is just fascinating, fascinates me, and uh, and it's and it's there in in your neck of the woods really strongly. Yeah, yeah, and in in the old times uh, in Estonia, they uh, handled the bees in the tree. So they make a hole in the tree, and the bees was ho- kept in the bee uh, in the tree. Yeah, and they have a this sort of a rope, and there was a, a wooden uh, thing over there. So if the bears try to go in the, up up in the tree, he have to knock the tree uh, yeah. small tree away, <laughs> and yeah. it goes away, and suddenly it comes back and trap the dip, uh, bear yeah. back to the crown. Yeah. So it's sort of yeah. a quaint. Yeah, so we we might hang wasp traps in our trees, and and you used to hang bear bear traps. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, let's hope you don't get the Vespa Velutina. That's a big problem. Yeah, yeah. Let's hope we don't get bears over here. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. well, that's your choice if you want them. Perhaps it's better if they are only in the zoo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sure maybe we could find an island somewhere. I could have a bear island, couldn't we, somewhere in the UK? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are there still wild colonies in in Finland? Are there do wild colonies exist? But uh, not not so much because uh, our forest is uh, very uh, sort of a, we used to forest very uh, effective. That's why we don't have old trees and stuff like that. Yeah. So mainly the bees can be in the old houses in the uh, wall or something like that, but not so much anymore. Yeah. Marku, it's been brilliant talking to you. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And we're talking to you at the end of April. I mean, what are your what are your daily routines? How are you going to kind of spend your bee day well, today? Is there certain things that you're having to do? Well, there comes a little snow in the morning, so I'm just maintaining the other stuff. Uh, and not not uh, I feed a couple of the beehives because. I have to give some uh, sugar that they are growing and I can get drones in the early of uh, June. So I have to sort of uh, um, managing the bees also this time of the year already. Giving them a bit of a helping hand. Yeah, yeah. So so they are growing and so when when I need the queens, they are sort of a strong, strong colony and they will work with me and I can get the uh, queens growing. Well, I hope you have a terrific season. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And your your son is he still keen in beekeeping, or is he his? Has he got other interests now? 
Well, well, they didn't like the bee stings, but uh, yeah. they like to they they like to sell the honey. So they like to, as a you young people, they want to make some money. So yeah. maybe <laughs> maybe later they are interesting also also with the bees. They yeah. both have been in the zoo. They like the other animals, but because they are easier, they are not stinging like this yeah, bees. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, good luck with it. It was big, great to talk to you, and hopefully see you. Maybe at the National Honey Show later this year. Yeah, if, that's, if that's, possible. that's I hope yeah. too. Yeah, maybe we can get vacancy in. Yeah, yeah. Already, so then we can meet again and have a couple of coffee. Yeah, that'll be lovely. Brilliant. Thanks, Thank Marku. No problem. Oh, that was great to speak to Marku. He's just, he's such a great character isn't he and um doing all sorts of really interesting things in finland i love the kind of image that you get of him you know getting in a boat to go and check his hives just don't really think about that you know <laughs> right. around yeah here, four, we? 45 minutes of yeah you know across yeah. the water <laughs> with the wind with the freezing wind and whatever ice in your face you know yeah with a, with a, yeah. With a couple of queens in tow sort of thing you know and then you finally get to the island <laughs> And, uh, yeah. you know, obviously no bears on the island, but well, yeah, but I'd love love to visit, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. visit Marku in Finland and, you know, and, and uh, see what he's up to. Oh, definitely. All the definitely. different ways. The, the way the bees just have this short season and they have to get on with it, don't they? So really just work so hard. I mean, we've seen how hard bees can work uh, at bringing in, bringing in nectar and forage. But, you know, if you've only got a two or three months to do it <laughs> yeah you got to work even harder that's what i was sort of that's what i was hmm. trying to sort of get to the bottom of is because they don't actually have that time to get the forage did they so they've got to make an awful lot of honey yeah. to get them through this long winter so but that's what he was saying right that he has to feed them the sugar um that's his job well he feeds the colonies that he need he feeds i think that's mainly for his breeding breeding program i mean a, a beekeeper can decide how how much honey surplus honey to take and how much to leave for the bees I mean, mm. a kind beekeeper would leave, leave uh, some stores leave enough stores for to get them through the winter but i think with his breeding program he needs to build up a colony uh, quicker than might be natural mm. to get those drones to get those drones early and as early as possible in the year so he can start his breeding, breeding program wouldn't you say chris yes yeah i suppose then that they are artificial colonies and uh but they're they're early and raring to go, and it's 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 a funny one, isn't it? Because um, you know, obviously bees are in the wild in in Finland, and they don't need feeding, and and but they're they're some of them might fail, you know, some of them. Yeah, but he was saying, what isn't it? There's not so many in the wild, so it's maybe that's quite yeah, telling as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like here, huh. it's down to management, isn't it? Down to management of woodland and forest. Yeah, things are so tidied up these days yeah. that. Bees don't have many places to go. Just... So, so is he is is Marco a real specialist? I mean, how many people um, are doing that kind of, you know, like artificially seminating bees and things like that? So, it slightly does my head in. But but for the black bee, he kept calling it the black bee. I was I think I was calling it dark bee, but black bee was that's the one that he's. Um, same thing. Actuating. I think it's the same thing. Yeah, it's the, the same thing. Okay. So, but are, you know, is he? How many of him are there in the world? He's, it strikes me that he's doing something really, really specialist. Yeah. Well, there, yeah, there are lots in Sweden, as he was saying. There's a, there's a, there's 
So I mean, Denmark. What, there's of another, there's a, there are other islands in Denmark where they have six. Um, there's a you know there's a project going on down in Cornwall. There's a project in Ireland. There are other parts of the UK, and there's the the British or Bibba B I B B A, which used to be the village bee breeders association started by Beowulf Cooper back in the day that became Bibba, who they they kind of specialise in in that kind of thing too. But yeah, not not so many people and. Uh, but they do have a conference. Bibber have a conference. We ought to. I think we we have plans, don't we, Patrick? We have contacted some of the the British bee breeders who are interested in in, yeah. in those in um in that kind of work. And uh, yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. A, but it is yeah, it's quite a specialist interest group. But they're all breeding different types, right? Or no, is, all the, are the people in Cornwall and Ireland that are all doing the black bee? Well, they're bee? aiming for, yeah, Apis mellifera mellifera, which is the black bee, the dark bee, the European dark bee, uh, which uh, which you do see, you know, in your own hives. We, I've, I've got some hives. I mean, I'm, I've never looked at their wings under a microscope, but they, some of the colonies here are very dark. And it makes me think, oh, that's a nice feeling because they're, they are, they have a... They've got that kind of indigenous heritage from this neck of the woods, which obviously is a good thing because that's how they've, you know, they've, everything they've got genetically has, has evolved to suit this this climate. So that's a, that's a good feeling. Yeah, yeah. I should say as well that I think with bee breeding, if I'm right, um, there are those who do instrumentally inseminate queens with all the gear and the knowledge and the and the know-how to do it, and there are those. I don't think Marku does that. Actually, he's just he's basically setting up apiaries to uh, engage in producing queen cells that produce queens, and then controlling the mating with the drones. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right. So he's he, he, obviously doing. Yeah, he's got the island, so he doesn't need to artificially exactly. inseminate because because there's mm. no other no other drones around that would would uh, skew the data sort of thing. It's good food for thought, though, isn't it? Because you know, more often than not, it's ge- genetic diversity is is a good thing, um, which I think you were kind of uh, oh yeah at the beginning yeah. there, Chris. I'm, you know, and and here are sort of people who are dedicated to getting back to the pure species, and you sort of think, you know, this that's an interesting. Bit, I'd like to explore that more. Is there sort I think of a apicultural natural socialism going on? <laughs> 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 yeah, so it's really interesting, and I remember. Raising that issue, perhaps even with our, the interview we did with Norman Carrick, maybe, and uh, or asking somebody about that, and they, and they, the, I was surprised and, and actually pleased to hear that the genetic diversity within, you know, just a few um, hundred miles of bees is enough, you know. So the, and the genetic diversity on on the island uh, will be enough. That the uh, right. and uh, that it's okay. Because it's different. It's different. Yeah. To, you know, we shouldn't sort of look at it from a human perspective. It's, it's, it's insects. Uh, they adapt and evolve and, and, and mutate. You know, really, really quickly. And and, it, and as um, I think Patrick mentioned earlier, that the queen will mate with you know up to fifteen different drones as well. So there's a there's a whole different um, reassurance of of, uh, of genetic diversity going on to ours. Yeah. yeah, it's how it's how nature ensures you know genetic diversity, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm. Good. Well, I've got a lot to think about. <laughs> yeah. I think the bee- bees are doing right quite often. I mean, you probably get this, Patrick, as well. You know, when people realise you're a beekeeper, they, they sort of, you know, they sort of look at you really sort of worried and go, are the bees OK? You know, and things like that. Because yeah. they've had all this press and media coverage over the last sort of 10 years about colony collapse disorder and 
And you just sort of look at it and say, well, yeah, yeah, they're fine. Absolutely fine. The bees are absolutely fine. <laughs> and as Marco said, you know, the biggest problem for bees are beekeepers, you know, and, and but bees are absolutely fine. You just leave them to their, to their work that they've been doing for millions of years and they're all right, you know, <laughs> they're okay. Great to catch up with you as ever. Yeah, amazing. And great to talk to Marco. Yeah, Marco, he's a, he's yeah. a star, isn't he? He's great. Yeah. Okay, well, enjoy the sunshine. Speak to you soon. Thank you. Cheerio. Bye.